This podcast represents the opinions of our hosts and guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice and is for informational purposes only. This podcast also does not establish a standard of care, doctor-patient or client relationship. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on the podcast or website. And because each person is so unique, all listeners are encouraged to connect with counseling and medical professionals for assistance with their personal journey. All people, places, and scenarios mentioned in the podcast have been changed to protect the privacy of those involved. Welcome to We're Not Fine. I'm Dr. Talia Jackson. And I'm Doug Jensen. We thank you for listening every week to our deep and thought-provoking conversations about relationships. If you guys don't know what mania is, I'll explain it to you like my doctor explained it to me when they <laughs> diagnosed me, which is they're like, all right, so you're going to have really low lows and then you're going to have really high periods where you stay up for days on end. You know, you might rack up a lot on your credit card. You're going to want to party and you're going to feel very sexual. And I was like, so what you're telling me is that I'm clinically fun. I thought last episode was the best day of my life. Well, I was wrong. Because today, we get to introduce you to the glorious, gorgeous, brilliant, and hilarious Gracie Kanan. She is a writer, a comedian, and an artist. She's in New York. Um, She's the alumnus of the NBC's Late Night Writers Workshop. And she also wrote for season one of the talk show The Green Room with Nadia Brown on Ovation TV. She's a regular at prestigious clubs like the New York City Comedy Club and my favorite name ever, the Fat Black Pussycat. Oh, my God. Delete. Or cot. The the Fat Black Pussycat (laughs) Comedy Seller. I dare you to say that three times. I'm not going to say that. I, I, I don't think I could say that without a tequila. The fat black pussycat comedy seller. How'd I do? And I'll tell you. (laughs) So we have been kind of preparing for this episode, and Gracie and us have been talking now for 40 minutes. And it has been the most delightful conversation. And as we Great. figured out, Hi, yeah, guys. it's been amazing. Hi, Gracie. Welcome. We're so excited to have you. I, I didn't know. I never know when I should like double Dutch in. I was like, hi. Uh, is this? <laughs> hi, everyone. Hi, everyone listening. Doug, Tali, and I are old friends. We are by we're now. We're hard yeah. to talk over. And I can already tell that we're three extroverts that like want to sing and tap dance for the crowd all at the same time and so this is going to be a very lively episode i have had to work on my interrupting on my own podcast so and which i have two of today i have two recordings today so this is actually like a great practice run to be like not just steamrolling everyone like i usually do no that's really hard Doug and I have conversations about this all the time. And in fact, if what it turned out to be for me is that because of my raging but fabulous ADHD, I would <laughs> feel this compulsive need to jump in at 500 miles an hour because of, yes, enthusiasm, but also- I have noticed that, by the way. Yes, I know you have. But also, I'm so afraid that I'm going to like lose my Forget. funny thought that if I wait until somebody completes their thought, forget it. It's gone. And what? And wouldn't that be the worst thing in the world? 
Wouldn't that be the worst thing in the world? Life ending. If you forgot, I do the same thing. In fact, I don't know if you recognize the irony of it, but as you were saying that, I jumped in and I said, <laughs> forget it. I finished your sentence as you were explaining to me how you jump in and finish other people's sentences. So if anyone can understand what the fuck is happening in this episode, I'll give you $10 because I'm already having a blast. <laughs> I know. The I'm going I'm I'm to pull this in a little bit. So, you know, pull first of in. all, um, Gracie became a guest, and I looked at her TikTok on uh, a bit she did as a comedian on Bipolar, and it was ridiculously funny. Uh, you are incredibly articulate and insightful. And now you tell me that was like an open mic, and it felt very professional to me. And so, you know, we're, we're on talking today about, like, what it means to live with bipolar as well as how that affects your relationships and dating and all that. But Gracie, I am so curious about how you came about being a comedian. Um, well, <laughs> the start to comedy and the start to my mental health journey were very in a very narrow window. Like it was within the span of a few months in 2015. So it kind of all dovetails nicely into this conversation. Um, I so at the time I was living in Philadelphia um talk about like the best place for your mental health absolutely <laughs> that's and... what i hear <laughs> yeah yeah it's just me being punched in the face by eagles fans all the time not really oh, but like proverbially um and i'd already i had always loved comedy i was like a total theater kid av club nerd um, and then I went to art school and then I kind of chose design instead. I was like, I'm going to be practical. I'm going to make money, blah, blah, blah. And I just still really wanted to try comedy, but I was too scared to do an open mic. I was too nervous. Wow. So my ex-boyfriend at the time who get this guys more on this later happens to be my current <laughs> roommate. Um, get we're, out. We're, Is we're that BFFs. next episode? <gasps> we're BFFs. We have a cat uh, that we share together here. Her name's Engine because he found her in an engine in Philadelphia. But <laughs> he was so annoyed watching me flail and hem and haw um, and watching all of this uh, neurotic, loose, creative energy going into all of these other things like vegan enchiladas and like <laughs> hot yoga. And he's like, like totally misguided, misguided. Yeah, right. Energy. He's like, get. Yeah, exactly. He's like, this is hard for me to watch. So I got you for Christmas. I got you a comedy class, um, like a stand up comedy class. And then I was just I was kind of hooked. And that was wow. 2015. It's eight years ago. Shit. Shit. But I have so and many look questions at you now. that, like, we look don't have time now, for. Living in a second bedroom. <laughs> oh my god! Look at you! But you're your really, cup matches your it. outfit, so you're all good. Yeah, everybody uh -huh. needs to see this uh -huh. cup. <laughs> well, I mean, do we? I'm dying to know in two sentences or less. How in the hell did you manage to become exes and then still? make this beautiful living situation work i mean uh the most know. i can say is we had a good relationship we had an amicable breakup and we had zero expectations after our breakup for becoming mm. friends it happened very organically and it was our friendship has been a process just like our relationship was so i think that's the only way you can be friends is like if you were on good terms and there's mutual respect and you don't have any expectations for being friends. Well, and I was going to say probably a lot, a lot of communication, right? Like a really good level of understanding where each other's coming from 
and navigating that change. You both had to figure out that you had no expectations. Yeah. And I, I think there's there's a few key ingredients because I'm not going to sit here and be some saint who's like, I'm best friends with all of my exes. Like, that's not the case. I'd say I'm friendly with most of them. So that's 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 a good uh, that's a good record. But I'd I would that say, winning. you know. Yeah, exactly. It's something I can put on my LinkedIn profile. Be like, and four out of five of my exes would refer me to this job. You might even Um, want to add that to your bio, right? By the big black (laughs) pussycat. Yeah, instead of like, who cares about all the other like, you know, comedy clubs and stuff? Just being like, she's still tight with a few of her exes. Uh, I would say, you know, they have to add value still. So if you had an ex, then you were primarily romantic and sexual with and that was the bulk of your relationship then they might not add a lot to a platonic friendship so they have to be able to add value we were best friends to um genuinely you can't be jealous that they're dating someone else that's like the sign that that's the ultimate green light if there's even a shred of jealousy don't don't do it um also same for like if you still want to be with them physically that's not going to work either. And then if you still have a good loving relationship that you're willing to put in the communication into and the effort into. So it's kind of, those are the four green lights and uh, yeah. God, you're so, you are still woke. Let me tell you, I know you said you used (laughs) to be. So I'm curious, Gracie, has there been jealousy and have you two had to navigate that? Um, not on like a day to day, like he brings people around. He He's met my partners. I've met his partners. The only yep. time where it's been a blip is where we have uh, relationships or situations with people that the other person knows. Uh... And that has happened a couple of times. And that's been a conversation. Um, so one time that happened with one of my friends one time that happened with one of his friends he was way more mature about it than i was (laughs) i I, please like again i can't highlight enough how not mature i am like just because i'm friends with my ex i was like I, I was like, I can't believe you did this. You lied to me, blah, blah, blah. Like you're, you're, a, you have an, like issues. I am not talking to you for two weeks. And then an hour later, I was like, oh, I just really need to get that out of my system. I get it. Love you. Blah, blah, blah. Oh, so it's like, it's a journey. But it's always what you're saying. Yeah. It's, and it's yeah. always been worth it. But I think that's been the tricky, the trickiest thing is just navigating that. But it's like, yeah, I do not. I'm going to sound corny here, but I do think you get to a certain point in a relation, in a special relationship where it's like a soulmate relationship Mm, where it just kind of transcends that. And I feel that way with a handful of like friends as well. It's really beautiful. You know, I also think Gracie that there's something, um, and you know, given that you are younger, I think this younger population is coming up. How young? Like what? You'll never know. I'll never, I'll never, know. I'll never know and I'll never tell. So yeah. I find myself thinking, though, your generation is kind of changing a lot of those rules and norms about relationships. And I think being mm-hmm. able to transcend, to use that word, and I love it. It's just so beautiful because we don't want to control people. We don't want to, but we are human, right, and have feelings. So if we can communicate those, it really helps navigate any any relationship of any kind. I'm loving it. I will say this, Doug, that it's not a hugely general. 
I wouldn't say it's across the board in this generation. That's fair. I would say it's more and more because I have also been in relationships that are very conventional um, that I feel like I'm an outlier in that, you know, open communication is like pulling teeth or, Mm. you know, I'm bringing like a lot of it is I would say even I think there is a lot more awareness that comes with each generation being like, hey, this really didn't work for our parents. They're very unhappy. How can we troubleshoot it? But also, I think it's working on yourself more than anything. And then also the chemistry between you and that person. So I think that's, you know, like sometimes it's like I, I would I would not be cool with. Like in my last relationship, I wouldn't be cool with so many things that I'm cool with in with like my ex right now. So wouldn't you say like this is this is what growing feels like? Like we have to be pushing ourselves through some really challenging, uncomfortable situations to even know that we need to grow and shift and mature, which might be the perfect transition to just diving right in (laughs) because like this is why you're here and we just really want to hear your story we immediately fell in love with you after that clip that hopefully is at the beginning of this episode so that you guys can see how we (laughs) fell in love and why we just needed to have Gracie on but we really want to know about your bipolar story and maybe even just beginning with like what were some clues to you growing up that you might have bipolar and we yeah just tell us your story if you would so my upbringing was really clouded by a lot of like emotional turbulence, I guess, just like, you know, divorce, a lot of like emotional instability within the family. So I, I can't really point to something and be, because there were so many factors. Mm -hmm. So I can't really point to something and say like, oh, I was really depressed or I was really high here when I was a teenager or when I was in college, because there were, you know, so many factors of, of family drama. There was alcohol. There was, you know, when I got to college and in my twenties, this is a massive factor, birth control. That was like a huge, huge factor. So it was kind of hard to pinpoint like when I noticed that something was wrong, but Mm. I think I kind of accepted I was always in a lot of pain and I always felt like there was something wrong with me and I felt like I just couldn't regulate my emotions. So that especially came to light like in college where I was kind of on my own for the first time. I wasn't given a lot of emotional tools and I would go through these periods of being like really, really down on myself, like really suicidal ideation, uh, really just like horrible self-esteem and then I would go through these other periods too often like in the same breath like I feel like in the same um where I would just be so excited about everything mostly like projects or whatever and I would like make a ton of like I was just always non-stop going or I was really really low and then it wasn't until uh 2018 actually where I went in and I was like, okay, I think I need to explore being on meds. I'd always, there'd always been like a massive stigma against medication in my family growing up. Right. Which we all 
probably yeah. relate to. <laughs> yep. Yeah, like, and I feel like maybe even like second generation immigrant families that like yeah. struggled. I mean, yeah, I can really relate to that. Are you from an immigrant family? Yes, my my mom. And so yeah, my mom um is Israeli, but she was born in Russia during the Holocaust. They like fled and then grew up in Pol like Poland until end of the war, then they moved to Israel. But yeah, there's like no room when your parents have had that kind of a story to be sad or whiny and not just deal oh. with whatever it is, right? Yeah. <laughs> my my friend, uh, shout out to a very funny comic named Aton Levine. We were talking a couple days ago. Oh, he sounds like my people. Oh yeah, he's he's your people, and he is he his grandmother was a Holocaust survivor, yeah. and he was saying that his mom would be like, his mom would be like your your grandma didn't didn't survive the Holocaust for you to get a B on this map. Yeah, that's right, that's right, Gracie. Oh, oh no, it was like a daily. There was always something every single day. If I was like complaining about something, or especially if I was like hungry or whining about like oh my god you know i'm hungry she'd be like you would have never survived the holocaust yeah. and she would shake her head and walk away but that was like exactly Eitan Levine, right, so I like you. prozac was like that was like completely out of the question yeah i think it, it's it's something that i still even at 31 almost what 32, you said you would wait, never wait. tell what? <gasps> what i meant 21 22 what i just bought my first legal beer what but even recently i went off prozac to see if I could handle being off Prozac and then I was like why am I doing what that, right. that stigma still lives in you so um I you know basically I had a, a hospitalization in 2015 and that was and we can like talk more about that whenever but that was like a big signpost and being like okay something is not right here and whether it's the birth control or the therapy or the this or the that like if I there was something really in my head um and this was also five months after I started comedy so it's weird that this mm. did kind of go hand in hand but I was basically like if I don't figure this out I'm gonna die like if I don't yeah. it's it, I'm not gonna survive so and I feel like that's accurate I mean what I have heard is that I mean, all depression is horrible, but there is something about bipolar depression that I have heard is the darkest, coldest, loneliest, most aching depression of them all. Yeah. I mean, it's so hard to even think about like comparing, you know, or, or saying like what's the most potent or what's not or whatever. Um, I also should mention too that like my official diagnosis was bipolar NOS. So okay. I have never had, like, I have had hypomanic episodes and, like, rapid cycling and stuff, but I have never, um, you know, I don't have, like, bipolar 1, bipolar 2. I'm not, like, Silver Linings Playbook out here where I'm just, like, kind of, you know, like, my case isn't so extreme that it is, like, not manageable or it's cost me, like, a ton of serious things in my life. Luckily, because, like, I've had the support group and the the resources to be able to handle it. But um, yeah, I think so basically what happened in 2015 is I had, I think it's a good starting point. 
Um, I was under a lot of work stress. I was looking at a move. I just started comedy. I really wanted to move to New York. Um, I was disagreeing with my partner at the time and, you know, any kind of tension in the home, like really sends me spinning because of growing up and, and all that stuff. So, uh, I, I had a passive attempt, um, and I told my therapist about it the next day and she was like, LOLs, we got to like send you to a place actually. And I was like, wait, but I just came clean and like, can't I just like chill in a bathrobe and watch new girl? And she was like, nah, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta send you. And I was like, well, what happens if I don't want to go? And then she was like, well, we have to like basically arrest you and it'll go on your criminal record. And I'm like, Oh my God. I'm like, all right, this is the worst thing that you like someone in that situation. You're so vulnerable. And it's like, if you don't go to this hospital willingly, you will get arrested, which I understand your liability, et cetera, et cetera. Gracie, um, will you tell people, just in case people don't know, what a passive attempt means? Oh, yeah, for sure. It's, well, you guys also, because I know it from my side, so yeah. let let me know, too, if you think that this aligns with your definition as professionals, is um, a passive attempt is, is like a suicide, you know, there's suicidal, when talking in the context of suicide, so there's suicidal ideation, which is like you're just kind of thinking about it, you're thinking about maybe how you do it. Obviously, an active attempt is when you take uh, decisive action to end your life. And then passive is, I guess, kind of somewhere in the middle where you're like, I'm lining up everything t- and I, I really am, I'm taking light action to make sure that this, uh, but but I don't, um, I don't, I'm not fully Oh gosh, I really wanted to say this, but it's so dark. Say uh, it. I was like, I was, <laughs> I, I'm not trying to make fun of this, but the the thought, the idiom that came into my head was, but I'm not ready to fully pull the trigger, yeah. and that's just like so, you know, that that's yeah. all I could think of. Um, Gracie, I think that's really well put. Yeah. I think that's very well yeah. defined. Yep. Because one is very ass- assertive and aggressive and a very direct plan, and the other is indirect, right? Yeah, right. There, yep. there we go. That's all. <laughs> that's and that's why you guys are the mental health professionals, I've, and I'm the bumbling comedian. No, <laughs> no. we could listen uh, to you literally all day, and you are so emotionally intelligent. And I can tell you've done so much work. And trying. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, keep going. Sorry. Oh, um. So I. So basically, I. I told the. I told them that I was like, you know, I just, I, I did X, Y, and Z. I really just wanted to fall asleep and not wake up, which I didn't know at the time is textbook past. Like that is now That's something right. that they ask you, have you had any thoughts that you wish you'd go to sleep and wouldn't wake up? Like, That's right. I didn't know that that was a thing. And that was 2015. I was like 23. It wasn't that, that long ago. Cause again, I am super young. Um, <laughs> if, if anyone gets anything from this, it's that I'm incredibly young and I'm aging yeah. That's backwards. the only takeaway from today's yes, episode. <laughs> I am Benjamin Button. But basically from then on, and I still, when I, when I got out of there after like five days, and it was so funny, I wrote a pilot about this too. And I was like, um, I was such a bitch in there. I was just like, yeah, I like have a 401k. Like, I don't need to be here with like these people. Like, I'm like, I was so like, no, I don't think you guys understand. Like I had, I was working in anthropology at the time. I was a designer. I had 
a boyfriend. I was like, I, mm-hmm. I had like a good life. And so I was yeah. like, no, 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 no. Like I don't belong, you know, finger painting in this room with this woman who's yelling about her pet lobster. And now right. what I realize is like, it doesn't matter what your status is. It doesn't matter how many or how few pet lobsters you have and how loudly you're yelling about them. Like we all have issues and we all belong in that room. <laughs> like if you're oh my in that God. room and that's But that fine. is such a real and beautiful insight. And I think that whenever we are just fighting against what is, it causes so much pain and we're not able to begin the healing process. If we're like rejecting that part of our identity, it doesn't help us heal and incorporate it and manage it. And so, yeah, that's pretty amazing. Oh, yeah. And there was also no mental health talk in my family. Like, to this day, honestly, I will talk to my dad about bipolar. And he's like, I just can't see it. <laughs> right. Like, right. It's hard to see, though. You know, I think oftentimes with bipolar, and you mentioned one and two, there's cyclothymia as well. And then there's the NOS, the not otherwise specified, that you have been identified as uh, I. Uh, being diagnosed with. The thing about it is the depression part of it is so oftentimes what we focus on. Even as clinicians, we kind of focus on that part instead of that hypomanic, which is Mm. a lower level of the mania uh, than other people might experience in the bipolar one or two categories or one. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I'm like, and with my dad, I'm like, you can't see it. I'm constantly talking about like this project, that project, like this is, you know, and, and I'm like, and I think that we can just chalk that up to, um, just a lack of mental health education and yeah. widespread yeah. awareness, especially in that generation. That's right. So, uh, yeah, I, I do think that it from 2015, my hospitalization in 2015 to my diagnosis was still three years. So I got out of there. I was like, that was nuts. Mm. <laughs> that was crazy. Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> We're going to, I'm going to oh, go to New York. I'm going to do this. I guess I have depression like that's what they so that's what they diagnosed me with they were like you have major depression and I was like doesn't sound like me but okay um didn't take meds or anything and then um I can't remember exactly what brought it on in 2018 oh no I actually think I went in for Adderall in 2018 I think I went in because I wanted to work more and wanted to like focus more and I went in and they gave a questionnaire and within five minutes, this doctor was like, yeah, sounds like you have bipolar. And I was like, wow, I feel like he's wrong. <laughs> like, I Well, was there's like, such I, stigma around that diagnosis, right? Well, I didn't, I still didn't really get it. And yeah. honestly, like Doug and Talia to this day, I still will look at my friend and be like, but like, do I? And they're right. like, do not go off your meds. You dumb right. bitch. Like I love you. Like, <laughs> and I'm like, but like, do we know for sure? And they're like, yes. Like you're a nightmare. No, they love me. No. Very much, um, is what I of course myself. they do. You sound <laughs> like a dream patient, <laughs> but like, but I went in there and it was like this guy and, I, and he just like wrote me a prescription for mood stabilizers. And I was like, okay like I was like this is so weird and then the more I looked into it realizing I was like oh this diagnosis is actually like um it was like a massive the start of a new chapter because I was like it is such a relief sometimes somehow like there is now a handbook there is like a reason you know I'm not gonna 
I don't really mm. say it to people. I don't have it listed on my Instagram. I'm not like the bipolar, you know, cover girl or whatever poster <laughs> child. But I, I, uh, it was really like, okay, there's finally a way for me to understand and process all of this crazy shit I've been dealing with for eight, 10 years. Yeah. Gracie, I'm somewhat curious too, when you first got that diagnosis, I mean, I'm kind of hearing that there was that sort of almost rejection of it. And it is important to figure out it's a complicated diagnosis. It really is. Because yeah. like, even as you still process, and especially if you're medicated and your mood is more stable, you're like, I'm good. So a lot of people will go off That's their medications, right. right? Oh, that's right. I mean, I did that with Prozac. I just yeah. did that with Prozac. <laughs> And I was like, I can never do that with my mood stabilizers. Right. Like if that, cause that, that's what happens. And it's this weird thing where it's like also, and I think this is true with any kind of mental health, you know, issue is, or diagnosis is like, again, I'm still part of that generation that grew up thinking that depression and anxiety and all these things looked like one thing. Like I right. thought that schizophrenia and bipolar were the same thing growing up. Right. I thought that like, like, you know, if you're not, if you're able to get out of bed and you're able to do your job, then you're not depressed. If you right. like, I, you really only think it looks one way and that's yep. the most extreme. So there was also a part of me that's like, I don't want to appropriate people with real issues quote like forgetting lol three years ago you were in a right. hospital like that's not a real issue i'm like yeah but that was like a bit that was like i know and there's also probably <laughs> some like amnesia right about like how bad was it really like i'm feeling okay now it probably wasn't as bad as i think oh absolutely and when it came to the hospitalization not just amnesia but i'm sure like repression because yeah. it happened a week before i was supposed to move to new york for a job like oh i moved God. anyway i like didn't even have time to think about it so i didn't unpack it until and write like when i wrote my script about it i didn't do that until four years after so it was really this like it i just didn't even have time to process it but yeah i think it is too it's like when you're high you're like, I don't even remember what feeling bad is. That's I feel right. so good. And then when you're low, you're like, I'll never feel good again. You're oh, like, I'll God. never. Yep. Um, and then I, I, what I hope and what I think I'm experiencing is over time, you know, with just learning, just adding to, to your toolbox, with tweaking your meds, with more self-care, with just getting older, that pendulum goes from kind of this. You guys can't see. I don't know why I'm gesturing. They can't. I actually can oh, see, see. I, We see. Well, no, and like people it's going to be, well, then Although they should go YouTube check it out on YouTube. Well. Yeah. They oh, perfect. But YouTube it goes, it, the pendulum like swings less and less far. Yep. Oh, over good. time and you have i have this you guys want to see something real corny yeah. i have a, a it'll pass tattoo so that's actually oh. from fleabag it's oh my, my favorite oh. backwards it's from fleabag which is my favorite show and uh yeah just it'll it'll pass oh, like it'll... i love that so much i mean you are showing up in this really beautiful way that's like also i think the important part of your journey is that you went from maybe fighting it, the stigma, not feeling like it resonated, not wanting to be a part of this club, you know, whatever it was, to just really not only owning it, but incorporating it into your identity and your work, your writing, your humor, your comedy. Um, I, we want to know, I mean, how, 
how does it affect your sense of self, your confidence, your identity, all of it? Oh, man. Um, I think that the key has been to embrace it as part of yourself, but not, at least for me, uh, make it a label. Like, not use it as a limitation, but use it as an enhancement. You know, uh, like I, I will often say now, like if someone's like, yeah, you're zany or this or that, I'm like, honey, I'm a, I'm a Gemini with bipolar. There's eight of me. <laughs> okay. Oh like, God, I no- love it. So it's kind of just like, oh, this is like a thing, but I'm also not uh, going to let it, I think, you know, as far as it incorporating it into like my work and stuff, I think, um, I look at it more as how how does this diagnosis and how does this condition make my point of view unique oh. rather than necessarily harping on like, oh, I'm bipolar this, I'm bipolar that, this is what I do. It's more like what are the things in the world that are I'm noticing because I have this like – thing this I literally full body goosebumps that is so beautiful (laughs) and if if anybody takes anything away from this besides the fact that she's aging backwards yes (laughs) it's that that it's like not using whatever it is whatever label whatever diagnosis whatever condition as a limitation but instead as an enhancement to look at the world with your own beautiful, unique perspective. I mean, it's mind blowing. I love it so much. Yeah. And I, I do think it's like, this is again, very corny, but cause I, I, I never put corny things out there on my social media because people just want to be like, murmur, fart jokes. And I want the Netflix special and I don't want to <laughs> creep people out. So I'm actually like a hugely emotional softy. Um, so now I, I might be showing that side of me, but it is really, you do kind of have to look at it as a superpower a little mm. bit. Like I will say one of the things that came with me with my diagnosis and my mental health journey was being a lot more empathetic. Like I was a little bit of a judgmental hard ass before. And, um, I think having this, it's like, I, I do think that from just firsthand experience with interacting with people who maybe don't have any diagnosis or like neurotypical, is that a word? Is that, can we, can we say that? It's a word. It's a word. Okay, great. It's an increasingly used word. Yeah. Oh, great. And like, good for them. That's amazing. Like you can function on four hours of sleep without wanting to, you know, punch someone in the face and like incriminate yourself. Like good for you. Very happy. Um, But you know, those people versus people who, or like in the comedy community, like I know everyone in the comedy community, it's, you know, addiction or depression or bipolar or something. And it just like, it does make you a lot more understanding, uh, which unfortunately is human nature that you kind of can't fully, you know, you, you feel it when you're going through that and then you feel it for other people. And I have been in relationships with people who didn't have that and I found their worldview to be a little bit um, just colder, yeah. you know? And I, I, like I said, I'm not some bleeding heart over here like, oh, I, I can't, you know, like 
get your shit done i still sometimes am like bootstrap theory in my head which is right not, you know especially when it comes to comedy it's like you want something bad enough go out and get it like i'm not this yep. super softy uh but i do think it's like you're kind of missing out if you are if you don't have that like ability to understand other people's pain and you know i realize you are only 21 but I also yeah. think that yeah. you're welcome. Um, yeah. I think, Gracie, that also comes with life experience, like that ability to yeah. kind of acknowledge what it is that's going on for you and recognize that there is no shame about mental health. Like it's a reality that everybody has their own experience with it, whatever it is. And there's nobody who hasn't had a challenge. I want to jump a little bit. So you said the piece about like you've dated people who don't have that maybe compassion or understanding and that ability to understand it. Mm -hmm. I am curious about your dating life and what you've experienced as you're living with your ex right now, um, who's also a BFF. <laughs> he, but you know, Gracie, oh, he sounds oh, like the best. We want we want him on next time. Also, can I can I plug his podcast? Actually, of course you can. Of course, okay, because oh my it's, God. Uh, so he just reads. It's called Sleepy. He reads people to sleep, oh. and it's actually really uh, helped a lot of people with like mental health and their like sleep insomnia you know, ability yeah wow. their insomnia um so i just wanted to so maybe like a little supplemental oh, resource if he's yeah. anywhere I if he's anywhere that. by you in this room absolutely show his face um he's not he's like painting something he does not other. want oh, to he's come painting on. a birthday present for his sort of girlfriend in the oh. other oh. <laughs> girlfriend i have so many questions just about that yeah. one line but we'll <laughs> Um, so, but the question is like, when you are dating, like, when do you disclose any of this? How do you talk about it? Mm -hmm. What do you need from a partner, um, as you explore relationships? Um, well, it's, I've really only had two relationships because again, my diagnosis was in 2018. So I've had two relationships yep. since then. I will say the first relationship wherein I didn't know I was diagnosed is so funny because we dated for seven years he was oh. with me through all of that, all of that, like me just freaking out, crying. Like imagine just like an undiagnosed bipolar person on mm. birth control, like running around and then me calling him a year after we broke up and being like, hey, so I'm bipolar and I'm on meds. And he's like, no fucking shit. <laughs> like, what? He never and said anything? So he knew? got sober too well i don't really we're like yeah. oh aren't we just being our best selves <laughs> like <laughs> maybe you just needed to break up and then yeah. discover yourself but are you yeah. saying that he already knew like was the no shit and acknowledgement he knew something that, like... was up we both knew okay. something was up like oh. but it was one of those things where when i got the bipolar diagnosis it was like oh facepalm yes like, yes uh, but I will say, uh, you know, mostly my, my partners have honestly been very understanding of it. And I will say, like, I've never relied on a partner to fix what I can't fix myself. Mm. So it's more like I'm a, I'm letting you into what's going on here. Like, I need a lot of sleep. I can't party this much x y and z like that's something that I dealt with in my last relationship. I was like, I can't party with your friends like this because like... Mm -hmm. Well, some people will just get hung over and groggy for a few days and I will like go into a deep depression. Like I can't oh, do that. Um, so it's more like I'm responsible for this. Here's what I need. Here's what may be different about dating me that than someone who doesn't have bipolar. Um, and I'll try 
the best I can to just like keep you up to date. I think that's the biggest thing wow. is just not keeping them in the dark and being like, yeah. I'm doing the work and you know, yeah, I, I don't know. And I, I think it's also made me better at, uh, <laughs> like, I feel like because I've had to deal with my diagnosis and my, and, and being bipolar, I've actually been better at, like the language of therapy and communicating yeah. than my exes. Yeah. Which sounds bad. I feel no, like I just but, dragged, but it's like, I mean, what it sounds like I was like, forced to do it. Yes. Is that you've done your work. I mean, what Doug and I talk about all the time, right? Is that like, this is case and point that if you are not taking care of yourself and if you're not doing your own work, Everyone else around you has to do your work. And so, yeah. Gracie, like, you are modeling what it looks like to be like, hey, this is my shit. It's not yours. However, you are my partner. I'd like to share with you what this is going to look like and how dating me is going to look a little bit different than maybe dating someone else. But I'm responsible for my own wellness, Totally. Like, and then, so and I also think it's like, if people, if anyone's listening to this and they're like, oh, I'm really worried about telling a partner, or maybe you just got a new diagnosis and you're not sure. Well, look at it this way. Everyone like mental health aside, everyone that you date is going to have their own That's shit, right. whether it's That's like right. they got divorced or they lost their job or they have weird sex shit that they're into that they like. <laughs> Uh, you know, seriously, that's a whole other conversation where it's like every like don't you know don't let the, a diagnosis make you feel sheepish because that is also being in a relationship in total is like letting mm -hmm. the other person know all the junk and or perks you come with. That's oh exactly right. You know, um, Gracie, I want to comment on your your talking the therapy talk a little bit more than maybe the average person. That is one thing. I've oftentimes thought about putting a sign in my waiting room, like if therapy works, you're going to have less and less friends. You're going to be able to date less and less people because, you know, your insight and your ability to talk about it is not going to be average. And by the way, it's not. Like, again, when we were bantering before the podcast recording, I'm like smart, capable of talking, <laughs> uh, knows yeah. herself really well. Those are incredible qualities. But you need to find someone who has that sort of equal emotional intelligence. That's Otherwise, right. it's a bad yeah. fit, right? It's tough. <laughs> it's tough. It is. It's... I heard, I've heard, especially in New York, it's tough. But oh. um... well, I'm not at the point where I'm looking for that right now. I was in, I was com in completely monogamous relationships from when I was 18 to 30. So I am very happy to take a break. I am also, for the reason you just described, Doug, I am also exploring dating women. <laughs> to see if maybe there is, I, I don't want to say that some men can't be emotionally intelligent and some right. women can't be idiots. I'm not saying that, but I am being like, like I'm talking to a younger woman right now and I'm like, like, <laughs> what? Like no impressed? man has ever made this much <gasps> sense. Like that she called <laughs> me up and she's like, we should just have a check-in. Cause like, obviously, you know, we're, we're in different cities. It's not going to like go anywhere, but I really like you and I'd like to keep seeing you. And how do you feel about this? And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> mind blown. You're just expanding your dating pool. You're just Gracie, like yeah. opening it up. We're going to have another episode just oh, on God. this issue. I am so delighted to like Me have too. that opening of exploration. Um, yes. I'm, I'm just we'll really see. kind of thrilled. Well, and I'm, <laughs> we'll, we'll see. see. I mean, she, like, we'll look, she backs I up so a little my... bit. 
because here's the thing is like my tolerance for bullshit is going down so mm. you have to widen in another oh aspect God. so That's now right. i'm like age and gender now you know widening uh and like i whatever if you have kids if you but like all of these things that i was like no on paper before i'm like i don't really care about but now i'm like you th like this is a hard no and like i will walk away the first time this happens oh my god like, i am incredible. i am good i got i got my ex i got a cat i got friends you've got everything you need right there yeah i think <laughs> having a full life really puts you in a position of power when you're shopping around for a relationship i agree you know good work but it sets you up really well. We have to know ourselves. We do, and and uh, you know, I think that's hard when we're when we're young. I'm I'm curious about something that's not on the on the agenda to talk about. I want to go back to your family of origin a little bit. Do you know if anybody else in your family has struggled with bipolar? Maybe I undiagnosed. Don't. I mean, it's hard I, to know, right? I don't know that anyone else has been diagnosed with it. Um, based on like story, like I, my mom definitely has shown signs well i don't want to say i love my mom very much by the way too like i love my whole family yeah, not mutually exclusive yes you what? adore no no no, no. i so i won't say that and i and we've we've all been through a lot and we are all very close and it's actually like a weird beautiful that'll be that'll be part three but <laughs> i will say like a lot of like anxiety depression alcoholism and then you guys, I'm sure, obviously know it didn't start with you. So I think there's also a, a bit of um, transgenerational trauma happening yeah. there. So yep. I, I don't, and I, I kind of pieced together bits and, th and then again on my uh, my dad's side as well, like PTSD from the war, alcoholism, depression, just. So I, I, I don't know about bipolar specifically, um, but I, I do know that there's some junk in the trunk. I think as junk we do that work, I really think, <laughs> I think that's it. I think we kind of start to explore the stories we've heard. I love how you said that. I think that's an important piece. Like all of a sudden you realize, I bet that might've been going on. Or when mm. you talk about transgenerational mm. trauma, of course, um, there's yeah, so many so pieces real. of that puzzle. And that's actually a really beautiful thing, like transgenerational trauma in healing with your family, I That's think, right. because yeah. realizing that like, okay, a lot of the, the hurt I have from my parents is they didn't just randomly wake up one day and decide to start doing that. Like that came from somewhere and then that came from somewhere. And it's like, right. I think if people can change and if they stop doing those detrimental behaviors, then uh, there's a lot of room for like healing and stuff. But that's me being very touchy-feely. Oh, Gracie, I mean, you are just remarkable. And I'm just thinking about like this pain and all of this like deep, many, many, many levels of life experience and insight and work that you've done. How did you turn that into comedy? I mean, your comedy is so real and so spot on and authentic and coming from a vulnerable place. Like, how do you do it? I mean, I think it, it starts as like a coping mechanism, right? It's like all comedians are fucked up and it starts because you're like, well, I have two choices <laughs> and one of them is pretty unsavory and like leads to a lot of bad shit. And another is joking about it. And that's why I think also it's like 
that's why comedians often get in trouble for making really dark jokes or really mm. it's because like I do think a lot of comedians reach a certain level of pain that are not that is not understood by a lot of people so when they make these jokes people are like how could you even and it's like dude I've been there and like right. this is how I'm coping with it and the people who laugh at this will get it and the people that don't that's okay like I'm not here to hurt your feelings I am here to like fuck shit up and it's yep. it I don't know like it's it's going to be there always mm. it's always going to be there the pain so you can let it take you over or you can play with it oh my god it's I'm going to jump onto that as well, Gracie, you know, in terms of like the pain that is reality, like you are performing when you're on a stage. One of the things I asked you about at the beginning was like how you feel about this microphone that you're, you're using so easily. I do not do this well. So that's Forgot why I have this. Here. I know, I know. I, I, I don't forget things are there. I'm like, I need it just attached to me. Um, but it's interesting how natural and normalized you've made a lot of this experience. But on the other side, like when you get off the stage and you're back in your real life, I, I think the real question here that we want viewers to know as well, like how do you take care of yourself? How do you make mm. sure there's an ongoing process of doing this? Oh my God. Um, it's, it is the, exactly that an ongoing process. Um, oh. I mean, I will say first and foremost support group. Like wow. I have an amazing support system. Um, they all know my shit. Like just living with, you know, I lived with my best friend before this. I lived with my, one of my really good friends before this and just, having people who know what's going on and you for them too. Like my best, you know, my, my roommate that I live with is he's two years sober. So it's like, I, I always just, so having people that know your shit and having that on their radar is so, so, so important. And then the other thing is just knowing that, um, this is a quote from AA, uh, which I'm not a part of, but my roommate will say, which is everything you put in front of your sobriety, you lose. So, uh, and that you can apply that to mental health too. So it's like, Mm. if I am really running on fumes and I'm not saying I always do this still, like I am a hypocrite. I will still like push myself and then crash and burn and learn my lesson, but I'm getting better at it is like, if I'm, you know, strung out or whatever and really tired and really pushing myself and I'm like, no, but I have this deadline. No, but I have this thing. No, but I have this. And it's like, Hey, you can do that but you're going to crash and burn and then you're not going to be able to follow up and you're not going to be able to. So it's like, if you want this thing really badly, you need to actually take care of yourself because that's going to be the thing that gets you there. And that's still really, really tough to navigate, Mm. but it's like anything you put in front of your self care, um, you will lose. And that doesn't mean you have to sit around and cancel all your plans and give up on your dreams and sit around with a loofah because hashtag self care. But it does mean like you have to be like, okay, I, I like, I have a mental health checklist. And if I get mm. half the things done, even half the things on that day where it's like, and there's like 15 things, it's like walk journal, drink water, yeah, one cup of vegetables, meds, meditate which like i never do but um but it's on the list know, just in case the it's opportunity on the list should arise. And it's like if i get like even a few of those done right that is okay but really realizing like i have crashed and burned too many times now yeah. i know how that story ends and i don't oh really need you know like i i have shit to do i'm looking oh at all God. these post-its i have a lot of shit to do in my life and i have a lot of goals 
and things to accomplish. And that's not going to happen if I don't take my meds and eat my vegetables. It's and, and it's use incredible. Your loofah. And use your loofah. And use my loofah. Yes. Um, yes. Loofah is pajamas. Wrapping <laughs> up this beautiful episode yeah. and maybe like one line of if you knew then what you know now, what would you say to like 18-year-old you that was just oh. had no idea what was going on, was really struggling? What would you say to her? I, you know, I have this weird thing, Talia, where this is where I get really, really uh, spiritual and weird, but is I actually think that the closest I have gotten to like God or whatever is picturing what future self, like sometimes it feels like you have this little guardian angel or something. And for me, that's always felt when the guardian angel has stepped in, it feels like it's a future version of myself. It's really, it's in a way that I can't really describe, but it's like someone is pulling the leash and it, it, the only thing I can describe it as is like 70 year old me. That's like, no, 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 no. And I'm like, I, it's like a gut feeling, but I know something's leading me there. And so what I would say to my younger self is like, I promise it's going to be okay. And like, I'm sending you all of these. I'm trying to like, you know, interstellar send you all of these, uh, these signs through the wormhole and through the space time continuum. And I know you can't hear me super well, but like, I know you can hear me enough to know to keep going and like, it's going to be okay. And so like, that's it. It's, it's just, Ugh. it's going to be okay. Keep going. Literally it brings tears. Girl. brings tears to my eyes. It's so <laughs> beautiful. It's so real. Gracie, tell us you have, yes. I, plug all of the amazing beautiful plug things that things. you're doing you have a podcast i do too. that i'm going to right now yes I'm so excited it's called like um, hot dads club what is it hot it dads. is it's called it's called hot dads pod it's with Love. my very funny co-host maria heinig and we have on a funny guest and we just it's just like a fun shoot the shit advice podcast so you can find us at hot dads pod on instagram um you can find me at Save Gracie Canaan on TikTok and Instagram. I'm also newly on Facebook. Wow, no. is that a trove of treasure? Is that a is that a <laughs> untapped? It's a market? relic. I it's a relic. Not. Yeah, you, it's a relic. But man, do people on there subscribe to your newsletters? Okay, like oh, good I will to say, know. like I am more I am more liberal. Okay, but conservative people on Facebook they'll show up to your shows. Okay. Wow. So wow. <laughs> what's that about? I, I want to know what that's about, I don't know, but I, I love it. Um, and, I what else? Oh yeah. Uh, you know, just follow me cause I'm coming out with some fun stuff. I'm going to be starting a Twitch channel. Um, I'm going to potentially be shooting a special in fall in Chicago TBD, but yeah, that's, that's it. That's all for me. Gracie, it has been beyond a pleasure getting to know you and it feels like we've known each other like for such a long time you guys are so Um, lovely you're such great interviewers you're so like your energies are just so calming i could have like a four course dinner with you guys and uh i have been meaning to come out to minneapolis because i hear it's a very fun comedy scene so when i do i will i will let you know and an amazing dining scene tease us we would die for the four i could make it an eight course meal (laughs) yeah no honestly i i have a i need to go somewhere like i want to do a couple of weeks 
um, in different cities and yeah. Minneapolis might have to get be your buns to there. Minneapolis. But I will tell you, <laughs> the only time it's fun to really come here is summer now until no. No, no, no. November 15th. You're from Philadelphia. Okay. The Flyers are amazing. The Wild are amazing. Oh, well, okay, we'll oh. go L.A. Kings. We can go Her Kings, blood too. Is thin. They're also Her blood in the playoffs. Is thin. Yeah, but when you, you come... You, I'm very delicate. I'm cold right now. Okay. <laughs> We'll find a really about it. We'll find a warm restaurant. Gracie, yeah. we gotta have episodes two, three, four, five. Yeah. We're There's obsessed. so much else we could talk about. <laughs> um, thank you so much for joining us. We you guys are wait amazing. To see you again. Thank you so much. Well thank yeah, you. thanks guys. Bye. Absolutely. Okay, bye-bye. bye. We are going to wrap up this beautiful episode and just say, I don't, I mean, I kind of, you know, I believe in reincarnation probably more than you do, but I feel like if I had to come back as somebody, it would be her. She's like living my best life possibly, like in like a comedian writer in New York. She's amazing. She is amazing. I think really good insight. And, you know, our podcast tends to like, have this balance, Talia, between like the seriousness of living with bipolar, which, you know, we don't want to take into a great deal of humor because living with bipolar can be very, very complicated and challenging. Um, so it was nice to have kind of the lighter view of what living with this disorder might be, but it's a challenge. And um, and so I appreciate how incredibly insightful she is, incredibly pleasant uh, she is to talk to. And again, like 40 minutes before we even recorded, I could have talked with her forever about a number of things. So really grateful. It makes me feel so excited about what we're doing and like shedding light on other people's experiences dealing with whatever it is they're coming to the table with. And what she was saying about like, you can either laugh or cry. You can either let it destroy you or you could see it as your superpower and figure out what your unique take on life is because of what you've been through. At the end of the day, you know, we kind of just repeat this message, but you have to know yourself you have to deal with yourself you have to deal with what it is that causes any challenge for you and approach mental health from a welcoming point of view instead of something to be afraid of or ashamed of um, and that's really the message that's beautiful we hope that you got value from today and we're going to just continue to bring you all of the juicy interesting important content that we can think of and check us out next tuesday see you later